the number one thing I learned from Shark Tank is w- before I went out there, they told me, hey, you got to tone your whole you know, pitch down because you got to remember the 7 million people that are watching this are on a fifth grade level. That's most of our audience. So you have to, to talk to everybody on a fifth grade level and make it just dummied down. Hey folks, this is Clayton Collins, your host for the Housing News Podcast. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Bill Lyons, the CEO at Griffin Funding. Bill has had an incredible entrepreneurial career in real estate and mortgage. He has even been on Shark Tank and he dives into some of the details of that Shark Tank experience in today's episode and how it has impacted him as an operator and mortgage executive. Bill will also be speaking at Housing Wire Annual in less than two weeks from now during the Vanguard Forum, which is a C-suite gathering of mortgage, real estate, and uh, technology professionals across the housing ecosystem. We are thrilled to have Bill on stage at Housing Wire Annual, amongst dozens of other really impressive executives, leaders, and regulators across the housing industry. So if you're not registered yet, now is your time. Sign up for Housing Wire Annual on housingwire.com and join us in Scottsdale on October 3rd through 5th. Hey folks, and now a quick message from our housing news podcast sponsor, Radiant Title Services. You hear the term blockchain show up more and more in the real estate industry, but what does it mean for lenders and homeowners? And how does servicing work when funding mortgages from the blockchain? Radiant's title insurance and closing services platform, Title Genius, answers these questions with a blockchain-enabled online portal that gives you simple pricing, smarter processes, more transparency, and superior service. Visit MyTitleGenius.com, and if you're a real estate agent, there's a link right on the landing page with specific knowledge for you. Check out MyTitleGenius.com for more information. All right, Bill, thrilled we're able to get on the air today. We are in full swing getting ready for Housing Wire Annual and uh, has me thinking a lot about business operations and entrepreneurial journeys. So I wanted to get on the air with you today and, and talk about your entrepreneurial journey, specifically in the housing space. So you mind kind of kicking us off with telling us about your first entrepreneurial venture? Yeah, I mean, in high school, I, I, I think I was born with the entrepreneurial blood uh, you know, my dad uh, was is an entrepreneur. He just retired, um, a uh, general contractor, builder, developer, and uh, so I've I've always had a passion for real estate. Um, but my first venture was actually in telecom, and uh, you know, building sales teams across the country back back in the day when there was such thing as long distance, um, and you know, rates went from forty fifty cents a minute to three cents to zero cents. And, and, uh, I needed to find something else to do. So, uh, listen to a Carlton sheets tape <laughs> and listen and, and read the Robert Kiyosaki rich dad, poor dad, and read a couple other books and thought I was a real estate investing guru. Um, bought my first property in, in Scottsdale actually. So we'll be going back to Scottsdale. It's actually, a, that property was a couple miles away from the TPC. Um, yeah. So that, that was kind of how I started. Um, couldn't wrap the house, couldn't sell the house, couldn't rent the house. 
I had a $1,700 a month payment coming out of college and, uh, you know, I needed to make money quick. So I saw an ad that said leads, 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 uh, I'll teach you the mortgage business, come on over. And and that's kind of how I got started in mortgages in, in 01. Yeah, not a bad way to to start out a career in a sales intensive business like telecom and and then kind of getting it handed to you in that first real estate investment. It kind of sets you up for this sales intensive industry that um hands it to you every now and then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's almost like a 2007 hand right now. <laughs> <laughs> So, so let's, let's go, let's go deeper. So like, how did that leads, leads, leads ad, um, get you started in the industry? What, what did that, what did that first role look like? And, and how did that progress to your, your first venture as a mortgage entrepreneur? Yeah. Like I never saw myself as a salesperson or a salesman and, and, um, you know, this guy taught me, he said, Hey, I, I don't know how to pass off the baton. I don't know how to build teams. I'm a great loan officer, I'm a great originator, but you know, I want you to come aboard and help me build teams because that's your background and I'll teach you this business. And, and I learned the business from like 9 a.m. to 3 a.m. And at that age, you know, you can do that. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of how it, it all got started. Um, and then, you know, it was consumer direct. So I'm I've always been a consumer direct guy. I've played a little bit with the retail. Um, but it's just, you know, I was talking to a aggressive recruiter the other day, trying to recruit my, my people. And, you know, he's like, Oh, you know, as soon as your guys are done with the grind, I'm like, man, it's just a different grind. You're, you're on retail, self-generating business, referral business, realtor-based business. It's, it's a grind. It's just a different grind. So it's all a grind. Oh, so this recruiter was trying to take your, your consumer direct originators and and convert them to convert them to retail. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> How does does that playbook ever does that playbook ever work, or uh, is it just a totally different skill set that you build as a as a consumer direct originator? And that does that translate to the retail side of the house? It absolutely can. Uh, it can. You know, in, in consumer direct, uh, you know, we have a, a non solicit. We don't have a non compete. I don't believe in non-competes, um, but you know that we own the leads, so we own the client. Um, and you know, if somebody wants to, I don't call it a next step; it's a lateral step. If someone wants to go independent um, and self-generate their their own business and kind of bring some of those clients with them, we'll we'll offer that other channel. Um, but you know, some some people are able to make the switch and and be happy, and some people. I've been in consumer direct for 20 years and that's what they love to do because it's more of a guaranteed paycheck. Like give me X number of leads and I'll call X number of leads. And then the, that will turn into X and then that'll turn into X paycheck. Um, so some people like the certainty, you know, Tony Robbins talks about the the six human needs, right? Number one is certainty. Number two is, is variety or uncertainty or the spice of life, right? You know, some I feel retail needs more of that uncertainty. Interesting. So, okay. So we're in this, this venture that you're operating right now, consumer direct focused. Um, is this the, the predecessor business to, to, to Griffin funding or how, how did that, how did that proceed from there? Yeah. So I started Griffin funding in, in 2013. Um, you know, I, 
I, I left Arizona, um, started a branch in uh, San Diego uh, for a, a small independent mortgage banker in 2003, um, you know, built that up to about 18 million a month in volume, and then started my own company um, in 2004, I think it was, and um, built that up to about a billion dollars a year in volume. Um, 20 million in revenue, 38 states, 300 employees. Uh, so I learned how to do consumer direct in a big way that I wouldn't do before <laughs> or, or do again. Uh, and then, you know, 2008 to August of 2007 hit. Um, and that, that company went kaput. <laughs> so, um, licked, licked my wounds for a few years, got my Obama tax refunds, kind of sat on that for a little bit and, and, uh, uh, had Revestor, obviously that's why I was on Shark Tank and then got back into the mortgage business in 2013. That's when I started Griffin. Interesting. So what did, what did you take from that consumer direct experience and the launch of Revestor? How, how were you thinking about the next stage of your career after dealing with that, you know, just terrible time that every mortgage operator had to deal with, which was 07 and 08. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, and, and during that time, you know, uh, Loan Depot took a lot of market share, right? Uh, I think they launched in 09 or 10. Um, but there wasn't really, uh, mortgage brokers back then. I mean, there was maybe Franklin American and, um, SunTrust and a couple others that you could broker to. And that was it. Um, you had to go work for a big bank or uh, a you know large um, IMB. Um, there weren't m- many choices, and and so I didn't want to start anything until I knew that you know it, it was a business model that you could scale, and there was nothing you could really scale. And you had a hundred wholesalers that you could broker to, and and we started off as a as a broker in 2013, but in 2010, I. I, I said, Hey, I'm, I know a lot of people in the tech business and, uh, I'm, I'm going to launch Revestor and, uh, you know, create a way for investors to, uh, easily look up, uh, create an algorithm over the MLS and be able to look up cap rate cash flow easily. Um, it's funny. I think, uh, MBS highway just came out with, with the same exact tool, um, for their subscribers so they can, help realtors see ROI, cash on cash return, et cetera. Um, so pretty cool tool that that they came out with that LOs can can use and uh, use with their realtor partners and investors in their database. Um, but yeah, it was it was a, a interesting experience and you know the site still sits there today and it gives us a lot of uh, leads and a lot of SEO juice. And we still get some some uh, embarrassing Shark Tank reruns here and there, but uh, <laughs> it, it it was a great great learning experience. What so for for uh, for the audience? I mean, what what did you learn from that from that Shark Tank experience? Was it was it everything that we see on TV when it the reruns pop up at nine or ten at night, or uh, is it was it a different experience for you as a as an operator and? Uh, um, you know, someone on there pitching their business to these aggressive sharks. It, yeah. I mean, look, at the time, it was all cookies and mops. There was no Chris Saka on there. There was no yep. tech on there. There was no Wi-Fi in the studio. 
you know, you, you see me, I made the little cardboard houses that I, that I had to show, like they couldn't get on the app or, or any of that stuff. So it was pretty challenging and, and, uh, it was tough, but yeah, I was out there for 45 minutes. That's what you don't see. And I was, um, uh, after the fat ass fudge lady, I think it was. And <laughs> it I was the last guy of the day. And the producer says, man, you better lower your, lower your valuation because they all went out last night. They're kind of hung over and it's like 6 PM at night and they're ready to get the hell out of here. They're in a bad mood. They just ripped apart the fat ass fudge lady. Um, you, you better lower your valuation. And at the time, you know, I had an ex employee from 2007 that, uh, put something really bad on the internet. So the first thing that they're looking up on their phones is Googling me. And the first thing that comes up is, you know, Hey, this, this guy's whatever from, you know, crazy, uh, former California employee, which wasn't true at all. And that was the bummer. So it kind of set me up on the wrong foot, but it was, it was 45 minutes and, and the editors, you know, it, it was, uh, a pretty brutal time, but the editors actually helped me out a little bit because if you would, would have seen the full 45 minutes, it, you would, you would have seen some, some, uh, some bad stuff. <laughs> That's wild. I, I think one of the things that uh, talking to a few folks that have pitched on shark tank, it's the experience is very different than, than what you see on TV. And I've met more than a couple people who have struck deals on the show but ultimately did not close deals on the show and uh, or cl- close deals after the the show had aired, which is a, um, I guess another, you know, a challenging dynamic to the, the idea of raising money on, on, you know, semi live television and that it's not the same due diligence or industry deep dive that you get in a standard fundraising interaction. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, pitch to several investors after that. And it was funny, like people would pull out their checkbooks and go, ah, if Mark Cuban didn't see this, there's got to be something here. I'm out too. You know, it, so it was, it was tough to even raise money after that. But, um, you know, and, and Robert is a, is a, a tough cookie. I'll just put it that way. Robert, Robert, you know, those people in your life that are the, the haters and the negative people and the naysayers that, that, that actually do just as good for you as your mentors. Robert was one of those guys for me. Like I'm proven Robert wrong. Five foot five, Robert, sorry. Um, but Mr. Wonderful was great. Everybody was very, very professional except Robert. Oh, I, I 100% have that experience. I've had people in my life who like at times are the the most challenging people to be around and the most challenging people to like get to see the vision, but they ultimately shape the way you think about things and shape the way you know you have to pos- position stories to be impactful in the future and uh yeah so i 100 get what you get what you mean there yeah thank you robert i appreciate that <laughs> yeah robert we'll uh give robert a shout out on this one you are uh hel- helping operators be more astute through your your tough questions <laughs> so yeah yeah, yeah. So motivational. It's motivational. So going through that, like that Shark Tank experience and and you know, determining the the future that you would be able to build with Revestor, how did that influence what you sought out to build with Griffin Funding? And I'm and I'm kind of curious, you know, I mean, you're you're nine years in with Griffin Funding. 
how has that business changed since the onset as well? That business plan you sought in 2013 versus what, what you've built over the last nine years? Yeah. I mean, look, the number one thing I learned from Shark Tank is w- before I went out there, they told me, hey, you got to tone your whole you know, pitch down because you got to remember the 7 million people that are watching this are on a fifth grade level. That's most of our audience. So you have to to talk to everybody on a fifth grade level and make it just dummied down. And, uh, you know, I read something the other day, Alex Hermosi put it out that um, 60% of Americans read at a sixth grade level. Um, so just really trying to make the business simple and simple to understand and simple to operate. Um, it's consistencies, it's not complexities that create success. And now we're going to take a a really quick break for this week's edition of the Mortgage Minute brought to you by Angel Oak Mortgage Solutions. Some of the most successful originators have mastered standing out from the competition by establishing a personal brand. Hi, this is Stephen Winokur, Chief Marketing Officer at Angel Oak with today's non-QM Minute. The key is to determine how to brand yourself differently than anyone else. For instance, everyone knows that most NMLS licensed loan officers can do agency, FHA, or VA loans. Set yourself apart by being the outside-the-box loan expert for real estate agents. Real estate investors need an originator with access to a loan product that allows non-warrantable condos and has no limit on total number of properties. Carving a niche as the go-to expert for real estate investors is a great way to differentiate yourself from the competition and gain clients who buy multiple properties at once. Or focus on helping self-employed borrowers buy luxury real estate. Either way, be the non-QM expert originator they turn to. And that's today's non-QM Minute. What were some of the parts of the business plan that you realized, like, hey, we might not be talking about correspondent loans here with everybody that we speak to, but ultimately we need a simple business plan that folks understand. Like how did you apply that in your process? Yeah, I think, um, you know, look in, in 2012, I started just to originate on my own to try to figure out the the business model. I'm like, Hey, you know, everybody thinks I'm just going to sit here and press buttons and hire people. Like I need to do this myself um, you know, it's like my first job at Chart House. They they made you do every single uh, role. You had to be a hostess. You had to be a waiter. You had to be the broiler. You had to be the gunga salad guy. You had to be the dishwasher. You had to do it all. And so that's what I wanted to do was, was how can I create a niche? You know, the when, first time we made Inc. 5000, I'm like, the riches are in the niches. And, you know, everybody's too lazy to learn VA. It's 2012. Uh, I'm going to become an expert at VA. I'm going to read the VA handbook. Uh, San Diego's a huge active duty SEAL military veteran community. Um, This is the niche I'm going to go after. And as soon as I can create a model that's duplicatable, then I can start hiring people and then I can start scaling. And that's a, might be a, 
a, a wildly fortuitous path to, to go down because I think we're kind of operating through a, a market environment right now where some of the volume is in the niches. Are are you applying that uh, that same thinking from the the mid 2010s to how you're operating in 2022? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, our business, um, you know, went from uh, 15, 20% non QM when which we launched non QM in 2017. Uh, we're number one on Google for pretty much every non-QM keyword. We generate a ton of, of leads um, for our consumer direct team. Um, and that was about you know, 10, 15% of the business. We had a small team. Obviously, 2020, we shut down non-QM, um, restarted it, went quickly, went back to 15% of our business. But now it's 69% of our business. Um, so yeah, the, the riches are definitely in the niches. I mean, we would be down like Lone Depot. We would be down 60, 80%, uh, if we didn't have non QM and we didn't focus in on that niche and become experts in that. Is, is that, you know, massive percent of volume that you're doing from in non QM now still being entirely driven by, by leads and consumer direct or are there agent partners that are starting to like refer people in because of the specialty? Yeah. I mean, look, um, Peter Drucker, right? Business is innovation and marketing. Right now, you have to to innovate and you have to market like crazy. So our marketing team is is marketing like crazy, marketing to realtors, marketing to to you know business owners, marketing to all these leads, and we're generating these leads. And in consumer direct QM leads just aren't working right now. You know, sorry, hey, I have two and a quarter. Uh, on a VA loan, I'm not going to take five and a quarter. Um, sorry, you know, maybe when the 10 year goes to two and a quarter, then you're going to get that three and a half coupon on Ginny two, that'll be a three, seven, five rate. Yeah. Somebody, Hey, you're, you're miserable in your two and a quarter rate. You're suffering. Let's get you three, seven, five and save you a thousand bucks a month. That's palatable two and a quarter to, to five and a quarter. So it's very, very tough with QM right now. Um, but non-QM, there, there's high demand. Real estate investors don't stop investing. It's their job that you know they they invest regardless of market conditions. Uh, that's spot on. So, as as we get ready for Housing Market Annual, you you are speaking at a session called the CEO Playbook. And as I was checking out your LinkedIn, I saw that you've been pretty active in Entrepreneurs Org or EO over the years. How has that? interaction with a group of peer executives made you a more effective operator. And I'm kind of thinking of this through the lens of we're bringing together a, a bunch of housing executives to, to share some battle stories. And I'd love to know more about how your interaction with the peer group that you're part of today with EO has, has helped you in your operating journey. Oh, man. I mean, you know, in EO, uh, in, in EO San Diego, even though I now, I now live in Incline Village, uh, I live in Tahoe in Nevada, um, I, and I have a second home in, in La Quinta, I would not have either of those homes if I wasn't in EO, period. You know, I think the five people you hang out with the most is your average income or whatever the case is. It's true. Um, you know, I've, I've had, uh, uh, two people in my forum, you know, you break off into subgroups or forums with about seven, eight people in each one. I've had two uh, people in my forum exit uh, for for big, big, big dollars, um, which was, you know, really cool to learn 
how they exited, what they did to exit, um, and, and their success there and what they're doing now. And, and then, you know, I had one, one person, you know, obviously forums confidential, but you know, this is public knowledge. Um, you know, one person, uh, was in the ticket or is in the ticket brokering business during the pandemic and had to almost lay off his entire staff, um, lost millions and millions of dollars. And now he's, you know, everybody wants to go to concerts again. So he's crushing it. It's killing it. Um, so it's, it's good to be around people that have gone through what you've gone through and that entrepreneurs really know that it's, it's a safe place to share. And we all know that, uh, at any given time, we can get hit by a bus. Um, it's just the people that uh, think that they're never going to get hit by a bus, they get hit by the bus. <laughs> so um, it's a dangerous game and you try to to limit your risk um, and, and be strategic and smart as much as you can. That's interesting. So I, I'm in a forum with a group of operators, uh, a gentleman that's in the senior living industry and an operator in the hospitality industry. So similar to your form mate in ticket brokering, like industries that were impacted in a really negative way during, during COVID. So kind of, I, I often think about how do I apply what other operators have learned in different sectors to, to growing my business? H- how do you think about applying what you've learned from someone who got that, that, the, in the ticket brokering space, for example, like just got hit really hard in 2020 and 2021, but now is in a position to come back stronger. How do you apply that in mortgage in a market where volume is down, um, but we all have to build and prepare for for future years? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You said it perfectly. I, I'd love to cross pollinate with different industries and apply ideas from that industry or marketing stuff that that industry does normally to, you know, this industry. And yeah, are you going to be, um, you know, at the battle line with a thousand soldiers ready to, to rock and roll when, when rates fall to three, seven, five on VA and four and a quarter, four and a half on conventional? Um, or are you going to, you know, have a skeleton crew? Um, you know, what's, what's the best strategy? Um, you know, maybe a skeleton crew is, is art of war when, when outmatched evade, um, you know, it, it's, it's a very, very difficult time, uh, right now, but yeah, he, he went down to a skeleton crew. Um, am I afraid ego wise that, um, if Q4 gets worse, if Q1 is even more worse, <laughs> And, you know, things don't pick up until Q2 or, or maybe even two years they don't pick up, right? Um, am I scared uh, ego-wise to, to go down to a skeleton crew? No, absolutely not. I mean, that's what he had to do. It was very difficult. He had to lay off like 200 people. Um, I hope that my business and other businesses and my peers and, and colleagues and, and mortgages that we don't have to go through that. Um, and that the layoffs are kind of over, uh, for the most part, but, uh, we'll see. It could, it could be a very, very tough for, uh, fourth quarter and you prepare as best you can, but you can never prepare enough. 
Yeah, I, I think we're recording this right now, right as we wait for the the September Fed announcement, which which could be a um, you know a another telling indicator of how the next couple of quarters look. But I think we'll get to talk about that in depth while we're in Scottsdale. Bill, I'm excited to see you in person in uh, in less than two weeks now. So can't wait to see you at the Vanguard Forum and go deeper on some of these operating and entrepreneurial decisions that mortgage and real estate and prop tech operators across the ecosystem are, are making right now as they prepare for a, a stronger and more successful future. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, if there's anything that the audience wants me to touch on and go deeper on, you know, feel free to leave some comments or or hit me up and give me some feedback and and uh, love to get vulnerable and uh, real with you guys. Awesome, Bill. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Clayton. Let me guess, housing market uncertainty has you guessing what's around the corner. It's the reason we created Housing Wire Annual. Housing Wire Annual is where the community from across the housing ecosystem comes together to share strategies, drive business, discover new technologies, discuss best practices, and meet industry leaders. With four different tracks, including mortgage, real estate, valuation, and title, our agenda is power-packed with content to propel your company to the next level and connect you with the industry playmakers. Join us October 3rd through 5th at the Fairmont Princess in Scottsdale, Arizona. Head to housingwireannual.com to secure your spot now and use code PODCAST20 for 20% off tickets. Bam. Now that is a wrap of this week's episode of the Housing News Podcast. Do me a huge favor and go to iTunes and rate this show. And if you leave a comment, you better tune in next week because you might get a shout out. Thank you.